1: We all know the saying that democracy is the worst form of government there's ever been, except for all of the others. And yes, it's true, democracy can get messy, voters can make mistakes, and politicians can figure out ways to play those voters, but the theory goes that democracy always gets to correct itself. The bums get thrown out, the wisdom of the people gets reasserted. But what if the theory fails? Could the people make a choice that is not only bad, But that so damages democracy in the process that it cannot make the necessary correction. And rule by the people gets lost. Well, we are in a time when that idea is being kicked around by a lot of smart people, some of them very worried, some of them not so much, because they do remain bullish on democracy. That all has quite the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement... Western democracy is threatening suicide. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S., and I stand between two teams of two experts in the topic who will argue for and against the motion. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City will choose the winner. And as always, if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Our motion is this. Western democracy is threatening suicide. We have two teams arguing for and against. Let's first meet the team arguing for the motion. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Bernard-Henri Lévy. (laughs) Bernard, it is great to have you back for, I believe, your second uh, IQ2US debate. You are a philosopher. You are author of the book, The Genius of Judaism, which was published only in January. Uh, And to launch the the conversation, just very briefly from each of you, we're going to put this question to all of you. In one sentence, tell us what you consider to be democracy's defining virtue.
2: One sentence. Yes. To believe in words, in values, in truth, not in motions, which is the opposite of what we will do tonight.
1: What a perfect sentence. We are going to believe in Ah, motions. That's two sentences. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... Your partner, Yasha (laughs) Mo. Yasha, welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. You are a senior fellow at New America. You're a lecturer at Harvard University. You became an American citizen this year. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Um, Your forthcoming book is titled The People Versus Democracy, Why Our Freedom is in Danger and How to Save It. You're also host of the podcast The Good Fight. Question to you is the same one I put to your partner. What do you see as democracy's defining value? I think it's the ability of people in democracy to see each other, even if they have deep
3: disagreements, even if they really think the person on the other side is deeply wrong, to see each other
1: as adversaries rather than enemies and to resolve their differences in a peaceful manner. Thank you very much. Great answer as well. The team arguing, ladies and gentlemen, one more time for the motion, which is Western democracy is threatening suicide. And we have two great debaters arguing against the motion. First, I want to welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Clive Crook. <laughs> Clive, also a return to Intelligence Squared for you. You are a columnist for Bloomberg View, where you write about economics and finance and politics. And on our question, democracy's defining virtue, you say?
4: I um, think I'd say one word, and that's consent. I think you mentioned it in your opening mm-hmm. remark. Consent.
1: Okay. You took one sentence and turned it into one word. Well done. That's the kind of pithiness we're looking for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Corey Shackey. Corey, uh, welcome back also to you to Intelligence Squared US. You're a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. You are the editor with Jim Mattis of the book, Warriors and Citizens, American Views of Our Military. Corey, what is democracy's defining virtue?
5: So I am going to try and meet Clive's standard and use a single word. And for me, it is accountability.
1: Excellent. The team arguing against the motion, you've heard their two words. (laughs) Let's move on to round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. Debating for the motion, Western democracy is threatening suicide. Our opener is Yasha Munk, a senior fellow at New America and lecturer at Harvard University. Ladies and gentlemen, Yasha Munk when
3: I look at what's going on in our politics here in the United States, but also in Europe, it's easy to feel disgust. And I feel disgusted. I feel disgusted when our president denigrates the people who are in need of help at the moment in Puerto Rico. I feel disgusted when our president calls neo-Nazis some very fine people implicitly in response to Charlottesville. But today I don't want to talk about disgust and I don't want to talk about emotion. I want to make a rational calibrated case for why, unfortunately, I do believe that democracy is threatening suicide at the moment. Now, what would it take for us to believe that? If we put our disgust aside, why should we think that democracy is threatening suicide? Well, I think we have to show two sides, two things to be true on this side of the debate. The first is that people really are quite fed up with democracy, that we are falling out of love with democracy. But we have had enough of it in many ways. Now, thankfully, that's something that my academic research speaks to directly. I've shown in the last years that the number of people who say it's important to live in a democracy has gone down a lot. When you ask Americans born in the 1930s and 1940s how important it is to them to live in a democracy, over two-thirds say it's essential to them. When you ask millennials, less than one-third say the same thing. 20 years ago, 1 in 16 Americans said that they were in favor of army rule. Now it's 1 in 6 Americans. In France, in the United Kingdom, about 1 in 4 people used to say that they want a strong man leader who doesn't have to bother with parliament and elections. Now 1 in 2 do. These are shocking numbers. You can see some of the results in actual voting behavior. You see the election of Donald Trump in the United States, a man who threatened to jail his main political, not adversary, but opponent in his mind. So that's the first thing you gotta believe. That a scary number of people is fed up with democracy, is becoming more open to alternatives. But there's a second part that we have to convince you of as well, which is that these movements are actually dangerous. I wanna tell you about the logic of populism, why it is that these populists end up being dangerous to democracy. And it's for a very simple reason. It's because they think politics is simple. It's because they think that all of our problems are the fault of a elite that is corrupt or self-serving or cares more about minorities and foreigners than they do about the real people. And it's this mindset that makes them promise voters everything, get into power and say, I'm going to solve everything. And of course, once they get into power, they start saying, who knew that healthcare could be so complicated? (laughs) And so what do they do? They start to blame. They start to blame independent institutions. They start to attack judges. They start to attack the press. They start to attack minorities. And once somebody who's in power does that, democracy is in real danger. Now, I'm not saying that democracy is doomed. I'm not saying that there's not things we can do in response to that. It is threatening suicide. but it doesn't mean that it's committed suicide yet. And we can stop it. It's our duty to try and stop it. But to do that, we have to recognize how serious this moment is and start to do whatever we can to save our political system. Thank you. Thank you, Yosemont.
1: And that motion again, Western Democracy is Threatening Suicide. First up to speak against the motion, Clive Crook, columnist for Bloomberg View. He'll be arguing against the motion, Western Democracy is Threatening Suicide. Ladies and gentlemen, Clive Crook.
4: Well, that's right. I'm going to argue that Western Democracy isn't threatening to commit suicide. Attachment to the democratic principle of government by consent under rule of law is as strong as ever across America and elsewhere in the West. That's what I want to argue. I do want to stress one thing at the outset. Much of what we've seen in Western politics lately, and much of what we'll be discussing tonight, is disturbing. We've seen a rising tide of populism, and this surge has led to some very bad choices of leaders and of policies. Democracy and the rule of law don't save us from bad choices. They don't always protect us from leaders that let us down or from policies that will make us worse off. They don't prevent mistakes, but they do leave power in our hands so that we can correct those mistakes. That's the core of the case for democracy. And contrary to what we've heard so far, I see no sign in the West that support for this fundamental idea is wavering. Trump is a loudmouth, a narcissist, and a bully. He knows next to nothing about public policy, and he's fine with that. He may well have authoritarian instincts, and his appeal is in part the appeal of a demagogue. You could say he's testing the American constitutional system, but you'd also have to say that the American constitutional system is passing this test. Already he's been checked at every turn by Congress. Again and again he's been checked by the courts. After he fired James Comey as head of the FBI, Trump's own Justice Department appointed a special counsel of renowned drive and integrity to take the Russia investigation forward. Perhaps Trump will be foolish enough to try to remove Mueller from that post. If he does more of his supporters will desert and the odds on his impeachment will shorten dramatically. In other words, our constitutional protections are working. Now, Trump, this leader with authoritarian appetites, let's call them, did get elected and he still has a lot of support. So how can I argue that banking for democracy remain strong? Because Trump, support for Trump is mainly an act of protest, not against the principles of democratic governance, but against the performance of an entrenched and incompetent political class. Trump supporters consider themselves loyal to the Constitution. They made a bad choice, but it's a serious misunderstanding to call a protest vote against the dysfunction of Washington, D.C., anti-democratic. I see Brexit in much the same way. Support for taking the UK out of the European Union was a protest vote against the leakage of political power to an emerging new order lacking clear lines of democratic accountability. It was a reckless choice, but it was not a vote against democracy. It was a reckless vote in favour of democracy. In times of great stress, and past decade was that and then some, Voters can lose trust in their leaders and put the wrong people in charge. They might even tell pollsters that democracy is no longer working for them. But here's the key thing not for one second does that mean they want control taken out of their hands or the government to put itself above the law. Western democracy isn't dying. I ask you to vote against the motion.
1: I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify!
1: we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, Western Democracy is Threatening Suicide. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Now to speak for the motion, Western Democracy is Threatening Suicide. Let's welcome to the stage philosopher and author of The Genius of Judaism, bernard henri Lévy. Ladies and gentlemen, bernard henri Lévy.
2: Democracy is not only the fact of voting... Democracy is not only the law of majority. To be in democracy means, of course, that there is a vote, but it means also a certain style of behavior, of consent, as you said, of uh, values, a certain form of public debate, a certain way of believing in truth. During the Brexit campaign, you had this incredible image of some debaters, Neil Farage, making some points. And just after the vote, in a very famous TV uh, program, saying, okay, I lied. I did not mean it. You have, in France, Marine Le Pen and all the populists, they don't give a about truth. They don't even believe in fascist creed. They don't believe in anything. They are pure cynical, which is the opposite of democracy. And Donald Trump did even better he decided that truth does not exist any longer that truth is exactly what fits him and that there is a post-truth and alternative truth alternative facts which are what is convenient for him so this means that you cannot say that this rise of populist movement don't prove that there is a real threat on democracy number two second sign In the last three, four years, each time we saw peoples trying to embrace democracy, the democracies said, no, thank you, remain where you are. This is what happened with the Syrian Democrats when some people in Syria decided to oppose both the criminals of Bashar al-Assad regime and ISIS, the Democrats, They were said by the United States of America, by France, by Europe, no thank you. Remember the red line, which was crossed and uh, with no consequences. Second example, Ukraine. You had in Ukraine very recently a whole people with a, a big culture saying, we are European. We want to join the club of democracies. We said, you belong to the geostrategic space of Russia. And the last example, Kurdistan, you have a valiant people who fights for the values of democracy and we are abandoning these people in a shameful way. So this is the sign of democracies who no longer believe enough in themselves to be able to hear this appeal and this call. When you look at the map of the world... To last remark, who is on the rise today? Some empires which we thought dead in the last years, they are on the rise again. The Ottoman Empire, the Russian Empire, the Chinese Empire. In a way, the dream of an Arab empire embodied by Al-Qaeda yesterday and by Daesh, uh, by ISIS today. This uh, revival of the old non-democratic empires, this is another sign that democracy is not going well, that democracy is tired of itself. I'm not preaching for emotion. I'm saying what I feel, what I believe in the depth of my heart. That's why I would like you to vote for
1: Yasha. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Bernard Henri Levy. And this motion is Western democracy is threatening suicide. And our final opening statement comes from the side arguing against. Please welcome to the lectern Corey Shaki, research fellow at the Hoover Institution. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey Shaki.
5: So I could tell the story of change in the international order very differently than Bernard Henri did. Uh, because In the 1970s, people said, Latin Americans don't care about democracy, right? Uh, They're too poor. Their basic needs are what they're focused on. And now look at Latin America, right? It's a continent of vibrant democracies. The Brazilians are refusing to stand for corruption in their government, which had been common for the entirety of Brazilian history. Latin Americans want to be able to control their government. And now the discussion is about the Middle East. And yet, what have we seen in the Middle East? Not only, as you suggest, the people of the Kurdish regions of Iran, Syria, Turkey, and Iraq, um, yearning for a government that feels representative to them, but the people of Iraq as well. The people of Iran, the 2009 Iranian parliamentary elections in which they believed the government had stolen from the people the outcome. And that had to be put down by force. The peaceful protest marches. The peaceful protest marches you saw in Syria before the government began cracking down on them. People yearn for what we have the luxury of taking for granted. My response to the fact that you know these kids these days don't care about freedom and democracy and they'd just be just as happy to live in an autocracy, yeah, my nephews have the luxury of not knowing anything about World War II. And that's pretty wonderful that they have grown up in freedom so expansive that they can talk nonsense about what kind of government they would like to live under. But nobody's choosing to live under authoritarian governments. People aren't, Americans aren't emigrating to China because, by God, what we would like is an efficient government that would have high-speed trains that work on time. We don't do that because democracy is messy and slow, and we're almost always dissatisfied with the process, and we're almost always dissatisfied with the outcomes. But that's the point. We get to change the outcomes, That's a universal yearning, that every time people get the opportunity to choose it, they choose it. All of us can identify ridiculous excesses in our politics. In fact, we have elected one president in our country. But the institutions are holding, civic society is holding. The day President Trump issued his travel ban, the ACLU got 350,000 new members and raised $24 million, right? There, there are natural antibodies in democratic societies that get activated when our rights or our practices begin to be undercut. And the reason I believe that you should vote for our side of the argument is that it's a vote in the ability of rejuvenation in democratic societies. We're not good at having it right, we're good at getting it right. Right? By bits and pieces, by fits and starts, by doing it badly and then doing it a little bit better. That's the success of democracy in our societies.
1: Thank you, Corey Shaki. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared US debate, where our motion is Western democracy is threatening suicide. Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another directly and they take questions from me and from you, uh, members of our live audience here in New York City. The motion is this Western democracy is threatening suicide. The team arguing in support of the motion. Bernard-Army-Levy and Yasha Munk have argued that Americans are falling out of love with democracy. They're saying they've seen the same thing in some parts of Western Europe. They're saying, in fact, that the people who are getting elected now actually can cause real harm because democracy is not just about the vote. It's about a culture and a set of attitudes and the behavior and politicians are dishonoring the traditions of democracy, which has impact. We are hearing that now. Also, that the lack of support from the democracies for places where nascent democracies are struggling to stand up suggests that the democracies have lost faith in themselves. The team arguing against the motion, Corey Shaki and Clive Crook, they say, yes, populism is real. They say it is rising. They say bad leaders are being chosen. But they argue that the mistakes that are made can be corrected and that support for the ability to correct mistakes is not being eroded, that all over the world people are fighting for what we have, which is the choice to choose our leaders to throw the bums out and that that has not changed. They're saying that basically the system is working. Democracy is resilient. There's a lot to get into there. I'm very interested in this notion about the against side's confidence in the ability of the system to correct for the kinds of problems the foresight is saying are taking place. So I want to take this to, first to Yasha Monk. Your opponents are saying a lot of what you're saying is true. They're not saying so what, they're not saying it's inconsequential, but they're saying the system is built to fix it and it's proving that it's working. What's your response to that? I think that was really, you cut to the chase of a core of the argument,
3: right? Um, they both said, look, a protest vote doesn't necessarily mean that it's anti-democratic. You vote for Brexit, you're fed up with the European Union. It doesn't mean that you dislike democracy. They said, look, perhaps young people have a liberty to say, I don't like uh, democracy, I'm in favor of army rule. They wouldn't actually enjoy living under army rule. I grant both of those points. Both of those points are true. But that's not reassuring, because democracy is a very brittle set of institutions. And once you have an authoritarian populist in power who is actually trying to undermine independent institutions in every way they can, the fact that people say, oh, you know what, whoops, we made a mistake, isn't going to help. When you look at the current Polish government, they were elected mainly on a promise to abolish a $10 charge when you go to the doctor. But they also were populists, and now they have stacked the Supreme Court of Poland with their own supporters. They have turned state TV into a complete propaganda machine. They have undermined the right of the opposition to protest their policies. Lots of polls are now saying, you know what, perhaps we made a mistake. We shouldn't have said it's going to be fine. But once you have that kind of
1: government and power, it's really difficult to fight back against it. Let's let uh, Clive Crook respond to that. I think Corey Corey would like to. to. to Corey Schalke.
5: So two quick reactions. The first is that you guys haven't actually answered the question of why is this happening now? And Clive's answer is that we're in a time of tumult. The world's changing dramatically because of technology and globalization and that's putting pressure on the system but the system is functioning as it's designed to. We think it's a lot less brittle than you th- think it is. And I would just use from the American case, we have two precedential examples. they uh, are similar times in the 1820s and the 1880s where you have rapid technological change that roils American politics and throws these populist political leaders up? Andrew Jackson for example. Much greater threat to the institutions and practices of democracy in America than Donald Trump ever was. But the great thing about democracies is that you turn the key in the lock, his adversaries found ways to create um, counter-arguments, and the same thing happens in the 1880s. You get populists coming forward, and then you get the problems that were driving people to populism addressed by democratic means.
1: Let, let me, and we're
5: in the midst of that process. Let
1: me bring a little of your point to Bernard Arnault levy and put it in the context of Brexit. Your, your opponents have called Brexit a maybe even a rational protest vote, which was not a vote in any way to say we want less democracy. In a, I think in the minds of the voters it might have been a sense of more control. So take us through the Brexit vote and how that fits into your argument.
2: The Brexit vote, uh, of course it is a, a protest vote, but... All populist votes, all extreme right votes in history, and even, I'm sorry, all fascist votes in the past, it is not comparable, were votes of protest. Protest is not an argument. You have a way to protest in a democratic uh, sense, and you have a way to protest which takes you
3: out of the democratic uh, circle. Why are people voting for populists? Why do people vote for Donald Trump? Well... For one, because the living standard of average Americans has stagnated. From 1945 to 1960, it doubled. From 1960 to 1985, it doubled again. Since 1985, it's been flat. People are pissed off about that. For another, because it's complicated turning a a, a country with a strict racial hierarchy into an equal multi-ethnic democracy. We're still struggling with that. There's some people against it. Now, what I want to say is this. These are deep problems, and they are driving real anger. And unless we solve them, they're going to continue driving those protest votes. They're going to continue driving that anger. But this is, and preci- so, this and is so, precisely... No, 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 let me finish for a second. This is precisely so, our point. No, because, because, because but, it's difficult to what, solve those problems. And if we won't, the, then the, democracy the is going in to be roced.
4: Pro- look, for heaven's sake, the problem in Washington is not the technical difficulty of these issues. It is political paralysis.
1: Let's go to some audience questions. Sir, right there. Um, the mic's right there. So if you can stand up, tell us your name. And you can, first name is fine, by the way. My name is Trevor. Uh, my question is Adolf
0: Hitler was democratically elected in 1932 in an overwhelming majority. And in less than a decade, he turned what was a democracy into very much the antithesis of that. Um, Corey, to you and your side. How is that so fundamentally different than what we're seeing happen in the United States
5: today? Uh, I think there are a couple of differences. The first is that we weren't in Germany in 1938 having the kinds of conversations we are having here right now, right? This is what democracy does well. It worries. It airs arguments. It thinks about moderate corrections. It the time I was most worried was when candidate Trump said that he, you know, wasn't sure what he was going to think about the outcome of the election. That kind of corrosive undercutting of the norms and behaviors that make our practices meaningful is worrisome. And I think our colleagues on the other side of the line ought to be hitting that one harder.
1: <laughs> Bernard, to
2: respond? Of course, we cannot compare the, the situations. And the, the time of Hitler in Germany was absolutely incomparable to anything. And Donald Trump uh, is far from being comparable to that. But what I want to stress is that th- the real dissentiment we have I don't believe that democracy is a natural state of the human being. Democracy is difficult. Democracy is fragile. People sometimes don't desire democracy. They prefer something else. They prefer nationalism. They prefer national pride. They prefer uh, sometimes war. And this is what history has proved very often in the past.
3: You say, uh, Corey, that you were very worried before the election in 2016 because Donald Trump said he might not accept the outcome of the election. I agree. That was the moment I was most worried And we were spared having to find out what he would have done if he had lost, because sadly he won. Well, I'll tell you what, we have another election coming up. So what's going to happen in 2020 if, as I hope to God, we defeat him at the polls? Is he going to say, oh yes, I lost fair and square, please, candidate who won, I hand over to you? Or is he going to rouse up his own people to rebel against the election? (laughs) That's something I'm worried about. The 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 question is what happens if
4: he does do that? Right. What happens if he does say that thing? I'd rather not find and out. And I am very I... confident.
1: Down front here.
4: My name is Bernadette. When we have our government gerrymandering districts so that we cannot have a vote that is fair, when we have a government that is stacking the Supreme Court, and makes corporations people,
0: and we can add you know ten more examples to this. It's hard to understand. How we really have an antidote anymore okay. to this. I'm
1: going to t- turn that into a question and say, how do we have an antidote to this anymore given that list of apparent compromises of the, of the fair and democratic process? Well, I'll give Corey the example
5: Schaffer. of my native state of California. We have taken away from the uh, state Senate the ability to set our electoral districts. It's done by a bipartisan commission now, right? Democracy actually has the ability to do that. Um, we, we have the capacity to make these changes, and we just need to mobilize ourselves and do them.
1: I'm John Donvan. Still to come, questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate on Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Western democracy is threatening suicide. Uh, Second row, I'm sorry. Yes.
5: Yes, my name is Helena, and my question is to you.
1: To the side against the argument. Yes.
5: We have this wonderful constitution here. We have the rule of law we have this very strong institution, as you say, definitely much stronger than, let's say, in Poland and Hungary, and this is the reason that we still have a democracy. But then you said the problem is uh, why we are not able to produce with this fantastic system good politicians,
3: (laughs) which would make sure that our... Democrats will survive.
1: I'm going, I'm going to, again, that's a whole other debate. So <laughs> Actually, I'm going to move on to another question. Sir, right in the middle there. And if you stand up, a microphone will be brought, I think, best from this side. For the side against the motion, my name's Ben. Um, it's an effective argument, I think, that the institutions are, are responding. My question is, if you had someone uh, more effective and more uh, focused, perhaps, on <laughs> corrupting those institutions, who didn't go for a Neil Gorsuch but went for a good friend, uh, how effective could those institutions be with a focused leader who intended oh. to remain? Interesting question. I wonder, do you want to take that, Clive? I think
4: you know, you're right. It is something of a consolation that Trump is so clueless. You know that if he if he were more effective, I mean, think of the travel ban. If he were that that failed in the first instance because it was so incompetently drafted, he would be more of a worry if he knew what he was doing. That's true. And I don't deny that um, bad politicians get elected. Actually, I would like to come back to link it to to what you were saying before. Why don't we get better politicians? The whole point of democracy is that it is robust in the face of bad politicians. There is something about the political process that projects certain kinds of people forward. And the beauty of democracy is that it keeps them contained. I think this is really the larger point. And I do, if I made this one other point, I I do hear this sentiment coming from the audience and and certainly from the other side. I have to worry about the sincerity of these statements. I mean, I, I work in journalism. And I'm surrounded by people who write about, you know, the imminent collapse of our democratic system and the, the threat that Trump poses, that he is a fascist dictator, one step removed from that. Why aren't these people more frightened of being thrown in jail? Why are not we a little more worried than we actually are?
3: You know, I come from a country, uh, Germany, which isn't renowned for its sense of humor. And... So when they laugh once a year at an event called Carnival, um, the way it works is that somebody makes joke, and after every joke, there's a band that goes, ta-da! Now, you seem to imagine that the threat to democracy will come in as unrefined and blatant a form as the Cologne Carnival where when democracy is under threat, there's a sort of band striking up the threat, and we know exactly what the nature of the threat is. That's not how it works. That might have been how it worked in Berlin in 1933, but it's not how it's worked in Poland or Hungary or Venezuela or a whole number of other countries.
2: I want to go back to the question which was raised by the lady here. This question of why so bad politicians is a crucial question. One of the signs... Of a sane democracy, of the real of a real democracy, is the ability to produce some good politics. Since the Greeks, when they produced Pericles, to the first to the beginning of the democracy in Europe, Machiavelli, when he spoke about virtue, he meant virtuosity, like a pianist. For him, politics were like artists. Frankly, who is the artist of politics today? Where are they? We are reduced to qualify Mr. Putin as a sort of artist in strategy, a great chess player, you know that? Which is an insult to chess play. So <laughs> <laughs> this, fact, but, yeah. this fact that the so-called but, democracy I, I, are unable to produce artists of, politi- of policy is one of the signs that our motion is a good one. At,
1: at, at I, 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 saw, I saw, Clive, you were really thinking that one through and digesting. So.
4: It is an interesting theory of democracy, that the, the purpose of democracy is to discover you know, the Mozart's of politics. Who are absolutely. absolutely. It is not. At least a sign. It, it is not.
2: Maybe not Pol- the purpose politics of the sign.
4: Politics is about ordinary, flawed individuals, and the purpose of democracy is to put them in a situation of competition and rivalry where they're held accountable to the people. That's what politics is doing. Okay. That's, but uh, the
2: people, of course, but the accountability works on two sides in democracy. You, the people has to be accountable also for his choices. If the people is sovereign... Democracy is the sovereignty of people. Every sovereign should be
1: accountable. I want to take this gentleman. You're wearing an orange shirt. I can't quite see the color.
0: Uh, my name is Patrick. So if you look at the American Constitution in particular, it was designed when the federal government was minuscule. Currently, the federal government has 3 million employees. There's various government and agencies so, where are the check in, checks and balance in the modern government, either in America or in the European Union, against the regulation government that has evolved from democracy?
5: Yeah, so it's a f- fantastic question. And elections have consequences. Presidents have the ability to change regulation unless Congress prevents it or unless the courts determine that it is unconstitutional. Um, and the ability to make those changes is actually. Um, proof that the system is working. We have a government designed by people who are afraid of concentrations of power, right? You can't get anything big done in America without consensus. That's on purpose and that is actually our greatest protection. Our government's designed to have to negotiate everybody into an agreement and governments on both political sides uh, for the last several administrations haven't done nearly a good enough job of building a broad basis of support. That's why you see so much
3: seesawing.
1: Yasha, do you want to respond to what you just heard? Look, I think that's basically
3: right, but there's a real problem here, that checks and balances work as long as all parts of the government actually have a common purpose in mind. And the problem with the checks and balances is that when you have so many veto points that nothing can get done because there's this deep spirit of animosity, of partisanship, then any time somebody has a little bit of power, they use it to the max. They start to abuse the institutional norms because now we've got the presidency and we've got to do everything we can. And that, political scientists show, is exactly what has happened historically in Latin America, which had a very similar presidential system, many of those countries, to the United States. And you ended up in these situations of political blockage when nothing could happen, and eventually a strongman leader came about and said, you know what, I'm going to solve all of this. Just give all of the power to me. I'm going to run rough over of institutions. I'm going to solve everything. And you know what you call that person? You call him a dictator.
1: And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is Western democracy is threatening suicide. And now we move on to round three. Round three are closing statements by each debater in turn here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Yasha Munk, Senior Fellow at New America and Lecturer at Harvard University.
3: Once upon a time, there was a chicken on a farm. And it was very happy. And all of the other animals on the farm kept warning it and saying, Be careful, the farmer is only nice to you now, but one day he'll come and kill you and slaughter you. And the chicken said... What are you talking about? Every day he comes and feeds me. Every day he says some nice things about me. Why would things suddenly be so different? There's a story by Bertrand Russell, and he concludes that indeed the farmer did come and wrung the neck of a chicken, and more sophisticated views as to the nature of history would have been to the chicken's benefit. I'm telling you this story because there are some things that were driving the farmer's actions. Those scope conditions to how he acted. As long as the chicken was thin enough, he let it live. Once it was fat enough for the market, he slaughtered it. We cannot conclude from history to the future because some things are different now. We have some deep problems and our political societies are failing to address those. And so we can't assume that just because democracy was stable in the past, it's going to be stable in the future. Ancient Athens lived for 200 years. The Roman Republic lived for 500 years. The Republic of Venice ruled serenely over the beautiful lagoon for over a thousand years. If people in the later stages of those polities had said, perhaps it's going to die in the next 50 years, perhaps the system will collapse, people would have said, you're crazy, what are you talking about? And yet eventually they did. My point is not that democracy is doomed. It is not. We can fight for our democracies, we can save our democracies. But the first step towards that is not to make the mistake the chicken made, Recognize that our political system is now under threat, and that'll take all of us fighting and working together in order to save it. And that's why I think it's truly important for you to vote for our side of the debate. Thank
1: you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, the, most. the motion again Western democracy is threatening suicide. Here, making his closing statement against the motion, Clive Crook, columnist for Bloomberg View.
4: Well, when I uh When I told people I was speaking in this debate tonight and opposing this motion, a common reaction was, oh, so you're taking the optimistic view. Good luck with that. (laughs) Actually, I'm not a great optimist. I don't see Trump as a fascist dictator, but I'm under no illusions about the damage he can do in areas where the law grants him authority. I'm pretty gloomy about Brexit as well. Although I think Brexit on the merits is a closer call, Uh, I'm worried about what's going to happen to the UK economy. I think it's going to be very difficult. It's pretty much a slow-motion train wreck. So don't call me an optimist. But here's the thing. It's a point of pride for me to meet people who disagree with me about things I care about. So I actually know a lot of Trump supporters and count many among my friends. I know a lot of Brexit supporters, too. Some of those are family. I don't deny these populist movements do attract and energize a fringe of outright anti-democrats and shameless bigots, but in my experience, they're a small minority. One thing I can say with certainty, that all the people I've talked to about these subjects agree on. Our politicians work for us, not the other way around. When we judge them to have failed, we kick them out, and no one is above the law. So, fellow pessimists, let's not bring intelligent pessimism into disrepute. Western democracy will prevail. I ask you to vote against the motion.
1: Thank you very much, And that motion again, Western democracy is threatening suicide. And here, making his closing statement in support of the motion, Bernard-Henri Lévy, philosopher and author of The Genius of Judaism. Bernard-Henri Lévy.
2: I'm not a pessimist uh, either, but I just observe that in Europe, we thought, for example, that Poland, Hungary, and so on were the beating heart of Europe. And we hoped in that they are turning in authoritarian regimes. France... Fatherland of human rights. We were at the edge a few months ago to have populists of the right and populists of the left waging the last competition. And in America, you have Donald Trump. What I want to say is that the best theorist of American democracy was a Frenchman, Alexis de Tocqueville. I'm sorry for this, but it's a fact. <laughs> and he said that democracy was three things. Vote, of course, number one. But number two, the rule of law. And number three, a certain form of civilization. Tocqueville said that it was a form of freedom of speech, a way of behaving with the other, a way of having a free debate, and that this, a way also of being, if you want, out of the grasp of power, and this democratic civilization is what shows today some signs of corruption everywhere in the Western world.
1: Thank you. Thank you, you Bernard-Henri Lévy. One more time, our motion, Western Democracy is Threatening Suicide. And here to make her closing statement against the motion, Cory Shaki, Distinguished Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution.
5: So my favorite commentator, thank you, my favorite commentator on American culture is not Alexis de Tocqueville, magnificent as he is, but a British historian from the 1920s, Bertha Ann Reuter, who described the United States as a country of people too extreme in religion and politics to live in peace anywhere else, (laughs) right? We are not newly a society with lots of friction. We are not newly a society that has economic problems, that is uncivil in much of its discourse, that has a lot of serious social problems that we at times address inadequately or we fail to live up to our values. Those aren't new things about our country. My favorite... Uh, article ever written about America in the world is by the journalist James Fallows. And I can't remember the actual title, but his argument is that the reason the United States is successful in the world is because we always think we're failing. The United States always thinks it's bad at stuff, right? In the 1970s, the Japanese economy was overtaking us. And now the rise of China is going to be the end of American dominance we tend to give our opponents all of the advantages of what we struggle so mightily to get right. And there are many things we get right. One of those things is building institutions and building civil society as a counterbalance to the power of government. The distribution of power that we have in Western liberal societies is our great saving grace and is much more robust than our adversaries this evening give it credit for. I hope you will vote with me on that.
1: Thank you, Tori And that concludes our closing statements. The results have come in. I want to remind you, you have voted twice, once before you heard the arguments and once again after you've heard the arguments. It's the team whose numbers have moved up the most in percentage point terms that determine who our winner is. Let's look at the first vote. In the first vote on the motion, Western democracy is threatening suicide. 41% agreed, 31% were against and 28% were undecided. Those are the first votes. Let's look at the second vote. In the second vote, the team arguing for the motion, their result was 57%. They pulled up 16 percentage points. Okay, that's the number to beat. Let's look at the... Uh, the against side, their first vote was 31%. Their second vote was 37%. They pulled up eight percentage right. points, which was not enough. It means the team arguing for the motion, Western democracy is threatening suicide, are our winners. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Clea Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Matthau is vice president of programming. Shea O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Rob Christensen is the radio producer. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit IQ2US.com. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you, and with support from David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosenkranz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Salendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation. Edward Stern and Stephanie Rine, and Emily and Antoine Van Agtmeel. From Intelligence Squared US, thanks to all of you.